You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome back to another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. The Big Ten might have pushed back its season to early 2021. The Pac-12 might have done so as well. But college football recruiting continues, and we've got you covered here at 24-7 Sports. In a quick moment, we will be joined by Brandon Huffman to discuss a four-star tight end from the West region headed to the East to play for Georgia and Kirby Smart. We will also discuss the recruiting ramifications or the potential fallout of what could happen for some recruits and the coaching staffs in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Remember, if you're new here, please hit that subscribe button. Please rate us. Please review us. If you leave a five-star Apple podcast review with your recruiting question, you got a chance to get it answered by our team of analysts in an upcoming mailbag episode. Before we get to Brandon, let's begin with the kickoff. It promises to be an eventful weekend in terms of commitments with some scheduled announcements from some big-time prospects, including Monkel Goodwine. He's a four-star defensive end from Maryland. Jacquez Smith, a four-star wide receiver from the state of Georgia. And Kyrie Jackson, one of the top prospects in the junior college ranks, also coming off the board. Goodwine, Smith, and Jackson are all scheduled to make their announcements on August 15th. Jackson, the number two junior college cornerback from East Mississippi, he is down to Alabama, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Florida. And speaking of Alabama, they appear to be the favorites for Goodwine. He's a 6'4", 260-pound defensive end from National Christian Academy. All six votes in the 24-7 sports crystal ball are currently favoring the Tide. And that could be the start of more activity as high school football is set to kick off in different parts of the country. Joining us now, and it's long overdue, Brandon Huffman, he comes to us from the land of the Murder Hornets and the land of the Kraken. He's the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, fresh off vacation, how are you doing? Good, good. You know, it wasn't quite the vacation we had planned and expected, but it was a vacation nonetheless. And glad to be back and getting ready to cover high school football season that's starting in the majority of, wait, nope, not, no, it's not. <laughs> well, as it pertains to us out here on the West Coast, there is a game tonight on Thursday night. There's a high school game, the first one in the United States of America for this season. It pits Davis versus Harriman in the state of Utah. Then we've got a full slate on Friday night, except for one game, which was delayed or postponed or whatever you want to call it. Uh, between Bingham and uh, another program. Bingham had a couple positive COVID tests. So I think this is all going to be a work in progress. I think this is the, the blueprint is non-existent, right? No, there is no roadmap to this whole thing. And I think what's happening in the state of Utah with high school football returning, a lot of states, not only out West, but I think across the country are going to be playing, paying very close attention to what is happening in, 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 in the high school circles. I think it really is going to be kind of serving as a roadmap, uh, if you will, in, you know, how to obviously get practices going, how to get games started. I think we've seen a little bit more 
I don't want to say caution because I think caution is what the majority of the West states that have pushed their seasons back to the spring have practiced. But I think, you know, in some of the states in the Southeast and the maybe the Southwest, they pushed it back a week or two, uh, if at all. But Utah has gone from the get-go. I mean, they've always been one of the earliest starters. I think Alaska has typically been the only state that started earlier in the calendar year than the, the state of Utah. But, you know, obviously we, we look at Utah, there's so much talent there and there's a lot of, key players that are getting to start their season this weekend. And I think that that's going to serve as kind of a motivator for a lot of other states to stay on track. You know, can you imagine being a Southeast state and knowing that Utah had a better structure and, and guideline in place? I mean, you know, that's a heresy. So we'll see if this continues to, to really guide a lot of other states that have decided to go fully this fall. It's been a wild week, and I feel like we've been saying that for the last seven months or so. Um, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 both announced that they were postponing their seasons uh, to the early part of 2021. I think that's the projection. That's that's what the plan would call for. Uh, from a recruiting standpoint, I think the implications are you know, very – they're going to be interesting because I think a lot of the prospects were hoping that these teams would play this fall ahead of the early signing period. And I think that's why we were seeing so many early commitments. I mean, remember, we are on record pace when it comes to early commitments at this time of the year. So with that in mind, I feel like with football being pushed back, the recruits that are considering some of these schools having to maybe even wait, right? Let's say you committed to Colorado and they are new staff there with Carl Durrell, the new coaching, the, the new coaching structure. You don't know what they look like on the field. And how are you supposed to sign with the Buffaloes this coming December if the early signing period is still on track to happen without ever seeing them play a football game, right? And how they're going to look. So I, I think... This changes things for a lot of recruits, a lot of their families. I was speaking to a recruit out in the state of Utah who was saying that he, he doesn't feel he's in a rush anymore. He doesn't, ha- he doesn't feel like he needs to make a decision because everything has now been pushed back. I know you wrote a piece about the Pac-12 recruiting strategies, and you can find it on the 24-7 Sports website. Alan True also had a breakdown of what recruiting strategies could look like in the Big Ten. Uh, What do you think this does, not only on the recruit side, but on the college staff's side with the way that the football season is now being pushed back? Well, you know, there's there's a couple of things that now Pac-12 staffs are fighting. You know, one, it's, hey, we still do take football seriously, guys, but we also take your health seriously. And I think that that's something that, that needs to be said. I think we've seen over the last four to six months a real rise in player safety, in, in player, you know, the player's voice, whether it's the, you know, we want to play or we are united movements that, that have gone through in college football in the past month. But I think we've seen a, a real sense of urgency from players that, listen, if we're going to go put our bodies out there, we want to be protected. And so you've got Pac-12 staffs that are trying to say, well, this is essentially our way of trying to protect you. And yet they're already dealing with the negativity. I mean, we, we've seen it in some of the stories that there's been coaches quoted off the record, but coaches from the Southeast saying, you know, we were absolutely going to kill Pac-12 and Big Ten schools in recruiting with this. I mean, imagine that being your recruiting pitch. And I get it. Everything is fair game in recruiting, but you know, 
we care about football more. Well, yeah, that's the problem. You care about football more. And I'm not going to make a political statement on either side. I'm just saying that that's what Pac-12 schools are saying to us. That's what they're saying, that they now fear that they're going to have their caution used against them, that they don't care about football as much. But in a sense, they're saying we care about the player more than we care about the sport. So now they've already got to battle the, the lack of, you know, success on the field, the lack of playoff teams over the last few years or the dearth of playoff teams over the last few years. And now they got to battle. Do they take football seriously? So, you know, you throw in that with already so many other variables that have been in play since the pandemic started, you know, it's fascinating. I also think, you know, you, you talked about guys wanting a chance to see, you know, schools play, see teams play. There's also, you know, we want to go to these campuses and visit. And we're seeing a little bit more of guys going and visiting the town, visiting the school without getting the opportunity to go visit with any coaches, without getting the opportunity to take, you know, a tour of the athletic facilities. But they're trying to get out and just get some kind of context of a future school that they would be considering and it just shows that there's a lot of things kind of being duct tape here. And with the NCAA continuing to push back the dead period, who knows when the next time a sanctioned visit will be able to take place for a 2021 recruit. It's difficult to envision it happening this year, right? Given the, the logistical nightmare that it could be with recruits from all over the country converging on one campus, uh, having to go through all that red tape, making sure that people who are on campus are, are, have tested either negative or haven't tested positive in a while. I think there's just too much there, uh, too many moving parts for recruits to to get back on campus obviously it hasn't been finalized but it, it's going to be very difficult to uh kind of go and, and maneuver through this whole ordeal i think right now with the football scene and and you know the sec continuing to play the big 12 and, and the acc those three of the five power five conferences opting to play as things stand now i know our good friend david woods over at the podcast of champions would 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 laugh at the fact that we're even bringing this up but if those conferences play and every recruit in america is tuning in on saturday nights and watching other conferences right not watching big 10 teams not watching pac-12 teams uh and there is an early signing period in december you know, who's going to be fresh on the mind uh, of those recruits? It's going to be those SEC schools, the Big 12 schools, the ACC schools. So, yes, the, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 will be at a disadvantage, especially if they're not able to take visits. And, and if these recruits aren't able to go out and meet with coaches that maybe have offered them and they've never even met them in person, given the fact that we are in an ongoing thing. So it's very, very interesting. I think uh, the implications could be could carry over. Uh, I know Ryan Day was in, in agreement there that saying that he wants early enrollees for the 2021 class. If the season does start in January, he wants those early enrollees to be immediately eligible to give them that recruiting boost. And I, I think I agree with him because if, if those teams will be handcuffed, you have to give them something to work with. Well, and that's the flip side to it. Does these three or four months that there is no games being played in the Big Ten and there's not the need to balance weekly press conferences and weekly games and official visits coming in, can colleges be more proactive 
as recruiters? And I think, yes, they can, because that's really the only, again, the only thing you can really focus on. But B, I mean, how has that changed from the last five or six months? I mean, that's kind of been the positive spin that that Big Ten and the Pac-12 have put on things. Oh, we can, you know, really ramp up our recruiting efforts in the next four months with no games. Well, you know, that's kind of what you're supposed to be doing the last five months with no spring practice, with no fall practice, with no camps, with no evaluation period. So I don't know that that necessarily really flips things any positively towards the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. I think it's clear that the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 – I'm sorry, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 are at a complete advantage because they're going to have the most recent football season. They're going to have 10 weeks minimum, 10 to 12 weeks of football being played – Assuming that nobody cancels the season between you know now and the next couple of weeks, they're going to have the opportunity to trot a team out. And then you got to deal with just the whole logistical nightmare of roster management. I mean, if the Pac-12 and the Big Ten stick to their plan to, to try to play in the spring, yeah, you have early enrollers, you have early counters. How is that going to get maneuvered? And again, what is the NCAA doing? What have they been doing in the last five months? They haven't really done anything except keep moving the needle in terms of moving the calendar dates for the dead period and the recruiting period. And, you know, when the official NCAA sports or the Olympic sports or basketball, those dates or tournaments are getting canceled. How has the NCAA not already come out and said, this is what eligibility is going to be like. They should have had a plan in place when it became very real that the big 10, the PAC 12, and even the other three conferences were discussing the possibility of spring, a spring season. How is there not already some kind of, plan in place for roster management. I mean, it's just been one thing after the the other where the NCAA is five steps behind the conferences. I had a Pac-12 director of player personnel tell me that he's just he's just grown tired and, and he hasn't even tried to ask anymore because every time he asks and he tries to get clarification from the NCAA in terms of the calendar, in terms of when coaches might be able to hit the road, just all, all the logistics, uh, he's just gotten tired of asking because there are no answers coming from the NCAA. So that's what some of these college coaches and, and these recruits are having to deal with with uh, so much uncertainty. We are joined by Brandon Huffman. He's a national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Huffman. And he is uh, a former co-host of mine at, on the West of the Rest. So we, we, we are well-versed, Brandon, on, on all these Western topics. We'll be right back here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting pod, uh, Podcast to talk about one of the top recruits out West. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am Blair Angulo, joined by Brandon Huffman. 
if you caught up with us in the first segment, you heard that that Brandon was on vacation. And one of the best things about Brandon being on vacation was me getting the countless text messages uh, about brewery stops, uh, about the the IPA that you just enjoyed. Uh, I mean, the photos that I have on my phone right now it's a it's a great collection of of stops that you made during your vacation. One of the great things about beautiful Bend, Oregon, is that per capita, it's got the best breweries and a lot of them, and they're all right by each other. And you can walk, you can Uber, and you can enjoy. And you know. Dang it, I was there for a week, so I did enjoy. I did Uber, I did walk, but I enjoyed. And then it, it's no fun to just, you know, when you're going on a family vacation, my kids are all young, they're, they're not going to go with me. My wife doesn't want to do that. So I kind of took a day and went and did it myself and then figured I'd share what I was enjoying with, with you and our friend Kevin Wade. And, you know, I didn't want to brag or flex, but I enjoyed some of the finest refreshments that the Pacific Northwest has to offer. <laughs> you definitely enjoyed and you definitely bragged. And uh, I'm not... I'm not saying I was jealous, but uh, but I was jealous. Uh, <laughs> we we've got a, another top recruit off the board, Brandon. I know the season has been pushed back out west and and in the Big Ten, but one of the top prospects in the region, Brock Bowers, a four-star tight end from Napa, California, has committed to Georgia. Not a surprise. He was trending to the Bulldogs in the 24/7 Sports Crystal Ball for for a few months now. Uh, the dominoes had been falling throughout the West. This is a, a pretty strong year in terms of tight ends in the West region, and Brock Bowers is the number one tight end in the West. Uh, so when we started to see some of the other prospects commit to other schools, that Brock Bowers was also considering, it became very evident and very obvious that Georgia had emerged as a front runner. So it wasn't a surprise. But when you dissect this, when you look at it a little closer, what do you think this does for the Bulldogs as they continue to make a strong push in the West region? Well, I think, you you know, you hit it right there as they do continue to make a push in the West region. Last year, getting the top tight end out West in Darnell Washington also got one of the best backs out West in Kendall Milton out of Fresno. So this time they go a little bit further north in California to Napa to get Brock Bowers. And I put a crystal ball in for the Bulldogs back in April and really I never wavered on that. And when it looked like, you know, Oregon was making a run, when it looked like Washington was making a run, I never really had any concern. I thought Georgia had such a huge lead after he took a visit there in January that, you know, it was going to be everybody else playing for second. And even when Georgia and Washington seemed to be the last two schools, he took one more visit down to Athens, another visit into Seattle. But I just felt like Georgia's lead was so comfortable that it was a matter of when, not if. And what Georgia gets is kind of a, you know, a unique polar opposite, if you will, of Darnell Washington in that Brock Bowers doesn't have the size and the length that Washington has, but he might have more elite athleticism than him. Um, He's a little bit shorter. Actually, I would say he's a lot shorter. He's probably about three inches shorter than Darnell Washington, but this is a a guy who really is kind of an athletic freak. You know, he had a 4-5-40 laser verified at the the opening regional as a sophomore, also had a 40-inch vertical. I went and saw him play. I went and saw Napa play this past October. Uh, you know, watching him play all over the field as an outside linebacker, as a defensive end, as a tight end. He was used as a running back. They would use him as an all-purpose back and kind of put him in the slot, let him make plays. And you could see his ability to just get out in the open field. And once he's in the open field, he's gone. He's a fantastic ball catcher, fantastic, you know, hands. He tracks the ball well. He's got great body control and, and really – 
finds the soft spot in the defense routinely to get himself open and make plays and get yards after the initial catch. And I think he's actually a pretty good blocker too. When you look at him, you think he's more the, the specialized tight end where he's more of a pass catcher. But when he's been asked to block, when he's been asked to, to go in line, he's done it. I just think that what he does best is he makes plays for you as a receiver and as a pass catcher. And I think that's what George is going to really kind of, you know, highlight for him Todd Hartley did a fantastic job recruiting him over the last few months and I think that that relationship has been key as well and I just I love the pickup all along all around for Georgia I think when you look at what Georgia is trying to do out west you mentioned Kendall Milton and Darnell Washington in the last class and to get them on the roster, you're already setting yourself for future success out West. Uh, this is a thing that I always think back to is, is maybe a prospect like Tua Tango Vailoa, right? Who went to Alabama, didn't, didn't stay out West. He, he had favorite schools like Oregon and USC, but he went to the Crimson Tide, did such phenomenal things there, top draft pick. And now when Alabama, whenever they want to go to Hawaii, right? For the top prospect or whoever it may be in the future, they have that, in their back pocket. They have the fact that Tua Tango-Vailoa went to Alabama, did all those great things. Uh, and now Georgia, let's say Darnell Washington goes and has a, a great true freshman season, or Kendall Milton does the same, or Brock Bowers next season or, or, or in the future. If he starts to excel, becomes a national name, uh, I, I think it just sets you up and it creates so many opportunities. So as, as risky as it could be for a, a program to uh, spend so many resources and, and so much time and, and effort in recruiting a, a prospect from across the coast, you understand it because it's not just a short-term win. It's one that could pay off in the long haul. And it's interesting because if you go back to Kirby Smart's first two years at Georgia and you saw when he got to Georgia, he inherited a commitment from Jacob Eason, who ended up starting as a true freshman. Then the next year, Eason wins the job coming out of camp, gets hurt in the opener. And then Jake Fromm, who's from Georgia, takes the starting role and runs with it. Easton ends up transferring back to his native Washington while Fromm takes Georgia to the national championship game. I think there's a lot of people that thought, look, Kirby's only going to focus on the Southeast. And really, if Kirby can sign his entire class out of Georgia, he is probably going to sign his entire class out of Georgia. Yet we've seen over the last two or three cycles, Georgia be very aggressive out West. And whether it's Keely Ringo, whether it's Darnell Washington, Kendall Milton, uh, you know, now getting Brock Bowers, it's, it's showing that Georgia is a national brand. And I think maybe early on when Kirby got there, I mean, Georgia has been a national brand, but they weren't a national brand to the, to the level that an Alabama was that a Florida was with national championships and a long history of success of recruiting the West coast. But over the last few years with Georgia having that success in the sec coming within, you know, a couple of plays of winning a national championship, Kirby realizes, Hey, I can, I can recruit and cherry pick a few guys out from the West coast or down from the Southwest or up in the Northeast. And I think he's really doing that. And the thing is, we're seeing more and more West Coast kids. I mean, Blair, this is kind of the concept of when we started West of the Rest is there was a high amount of kids from the West that were looking to get out of the region for their college ball. I, I think more and more West Coast kids are open to leaving the region, and we're seeing Georgia be one of those schools that really clearly is benefiting from that. Well, I've heard football just means more out there, too. So that's a that's another interesting wrinkle. We're joined by Brandon Huffman. He's a national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. And Brandon, you've been on the road. Not only were you on vacation, but you made use of some of those trips. You were out in Reno for a camp. 
and you made it out to the state of Washington as well for another camp. Uh, I know you got to see some some top prospects. What for for our listeners who who maybe are unfamiliar with what it looks like right now during a pandemic, what's the atmosphere like? What what's the social? I mean, how do you social distance during a camp? Are, are some of these prospects wearing masks? You know, obviously you look at uh, the reason why these players are doing so. Right, they they want to further expose themselves and get more education uh, opportunities from scholarships and get more offers and do it all that. But uh, I think uh, when you kind of look at it a little bit closer. You you, um, you you understand, you know, not only are we in some really wild and crazy times, but you understand why these these prospects are going out and and, um, you know, trying to, to kind of do their best ahead of their seasons. Yeah. You know what I like seeing, too, is a lot of guys that don't even have a need to go to camps that don't really have any central purpose to go to a camp other than just to compete. They don't need any recruiting traction. They're already committed to power five schools. They're going just because they want to get some competitive juices flowing. But the reality is the majority of the guys going are guys that maybe their recruitment has hit a, a roadblock. Maybe their recruitment just never got on track because of the pandemic. And so whether it was in Reno, there was an event that the the event was so popular in terms of signups, they ended up having to split it up over two days. And it was an indoor facility at a, like a soccer facility in Reno. And they had to do it in a number of sessions to space out guys so that there wasn't any kind of, you know, real questions about social distancing. It was just pretty much obvious guys weren't going to be around each other. You weren't going to see one-on-ones. It was all individual drills. Players were wearing masks. Coaches were wearing masks. Uh, but you still got to see these guys work out. You still got to see these guys, you know, do some football drills. And then last weekend when I was back in Washington, there was the Cleats vs. Cancer Camp in Thurston County, which is uh, a little bit south of King County where Seattle is in one of the state or one of the counties in the state that is in phase three. So they had a little bit more ability to get more players there. But still, again, you know, they had to limit what they can do. And so it was a lot of just individual work, individual drills so that guys could have a little bit of a you know video resume to send to schools and to send to coaches and to hopefully get their recruitments on track. You know, th- there was a couple of players that I saw at each event that really impressed me in Reno at the Best Coast Showcase. I know a guy that you like a lot, four-star 2022 linebacker Robbie Snowing uh, out of McQueen High School in Reno. He's been committed to Stanford for baseball for about a year, uh, but his football recruitment has taken off with Notre Dame offering this week, Stanford having offered. I think he's got five or six other Pac-12 offers and probably more now that coaches are are knowing that he's open to playing football, that he's not just focusing on baseball. That said, when you're a lefty hitting the low 90s as a sophomore, that football career could you know be on hold after high school because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of potential for draft for him but watching him work out watching his new teammate at McQueen Ashton Hayes a 2022 running back who I think he came over from DeMonte Ranch uh, maybe to, to McQueen but a speedster that we've seen a little bit on the seven on seven circuit they were probably the two guys from Reno that I, I liked the most and then um, one of the underclassmen that I was most impressed with was Jurion Dickey who is likely to be a top 100 2023 prospect out of San Jose plays at Valley Christian High School same high school that produced Texas receiver Colin Johnson and Dickey's kind of in the same boat where he's playing receiver at a school that kind of runs the ball a, a lot and when I say a lot meaning they run the ball like 90% of the time but he's sticking with it and looked really good at that event. And then it cleats first cancer. You know, Sam Hewer, the number one quarterback in the country, was there throwing the ball to Emeka Ibuka, the number one receiver in the country. Uh, Emeka is undecided. Sam Hewer is committed to Washington. Emeka's got a Final Four of Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. 
and Washington. A potential visit to Oklahoma later this month looms. Uh, then Junior Alexander, a four-star receiver who's committed to Arizona State. Those are kind of the three that, you know, your eyes naturally go to because they are among the best in the country. But, you know, again, for, for a Mecca uh, who's, you know, the number one receiver, who's got every All-American invitation that you can get and all the offers, Sam has been committed to Washington for 18 months. They just wanted to come and compete and they wanted to, to support a great cause in the cleats vs. cancer event, which is supporting one of the local football coaches daughter who's fighting leukemia. So you just like to see that guys want to come out, support a great cause and compete at the same time. Yeah, and before we let you go, Huff, uh, obviously not only are showcases and events happening because football has been pushed back in a lot in a lot of parts of the country, but now high school football is back, and we touched on it earlier. Utah is up first. Utah gets to be, I guess, the, the guinea pig for this whole ordeal and, and how the process will work out, uh, but I think it's going to be, I think, fascinating to not only mo- monitor how that works, but I, I think... A lot of these prospects that maybe were hoping for a big spring evaluation period, uh, for you know, for a chance to to garner more looks, to get more attention from college coaches, coaches maybe even during the during the summer camp scene. Uh, I, I think now the season is finally here, and this is their opportunity to put some film together. So, are we expecting more offers to go out in the next month? Are we expecting uh, maybe some more commitments in the next month before you know things start to? Uh, potentially close down again what what's your feel pull out your crystal ball and, and let me know what you think about what's to come in the in the next month I think you're absolutely going to see a number of offers come as a result of this. And, you know, I don't know that there's going to be the frequency at which they come out in the spring, but I do think that there's going to be a good chunk of offers coming out. You know, I had one Pac-12 director of recruiting essentially say that, you know, with School recruiting with with with, uh, with schools having the chance to recruit based off new films, they anticipate sending out a number of offers themselves just because there's new context that you know really you're going back to November December to have the most recent film in pads with no spring evaluation period and you know just minimal camps testing. Now coaches at least have the opportunity to see some new films, so we may see an inordinate amount of Utah players getting offers just because they're available. You know, and this could help players in the state of Idaho and Montana, two other states out West that are playing this fall. Their seasons are starting later this month. Maybe more players in those states that then normally get offered will because they've got the context and they've got the, the relevant and recent film to entice coaches. So it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, if, if the spring or the, the February signing period gets moved back to the spring, the states that are playing in the spring, will those players benefit from a later signing period or will they be, essentially screwed because there's no offers left to be thrown out in the 2021 class by the time their season starts. Yeah. So only half of the top 10 prospects in the state of Utah have already committed. So that's actually a low number compared to a lot of the other states out West and, and, and in other states in the country. Huff, it's been a pleasure as always. And uh, keep sending me those photos, will you? I will do that for sure. (laughs) So that was Brandon Huffman. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. If you want him or any other of our other analysts on the 24-7 Sports team of analysts, uh, answer your questions. Uh, Make sure you you leave a five-star Apple podcast review with your recruiting question for an upcoming mailbag episode. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Enjoy your weekend.